you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, I'm not going to ask if you've been to prison, because that's a discriminatory hiring practice. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to ask whether you've uh, infiltrated a... uh, DOD skiff to launch a cyber warfare attack. Um, so I don't know. How you doing? I've never infiltrated a DOD skiff. Oh, uh, I did run a lucrative side business in the late 90s, uh, buying and selling uh, red boxes uh, that I, after getting the schematic for them out of uh, a 2600 magazine. So that's close, right? That's that's almost breaking into a DOD skiff. <laughs> buying a uh buying a uh simple uh box from uh what's it called uh radio shack and soldering in a single new component two if i was feeling fancy and wanted to upcharge huh i'd never known what this was this is this is obviously like this this shows our age difference here but that's interesting yeah. mm-hmm. it was uh the ones that I made looked like just a phone dialer. So it just had all the numbers on it. And when you pushed it, it, it did the tones. And then if you turned it over, there was a, uh, a, a liquid switch. So when you turned it, the switch was flipped and it turned the tones to sound like the, the dial tones. Hmm. That was the upcharged one. I found, yeah. So that was, that was the most, the, the most uh, hackerly thing I ever accomplished in, in my degenerate youth. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm I'm happy that it's a long weekend. Um, I have big plans to tackle unpacking some of the boxes that have not been unpacked since not the most recent move, but two moves ago. Feels like uh, that was. Do you even know what's in them? A lot of it is like really old documents. I I purchased a um, paper shredder to help with this oh, process. There you go. Um, it's like credit card uh, statements for like that are like 10 years old from accounts that don't exist anymore. I did that. I hauled a box from California that was full of old paper. I didn't feel comfortable throwing away, but but felt like I needed to shred. Yeah. And finally bought a paper shredder and just didn't even look at any of it. Just shredded the whole box. And like, I know that there's a few useful things in there, but like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty judicious with the shredding. Yeah. All right. Do you, what? How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing all right. I I'm going to get my hair redone on Wednesday. I am uh, ready for a nice weekend. My sister and I are going to uh, watch a wrestling pay per view on Sunday. Because this episode comes out late, I can't warn all of your followers to mute you on Twitter if they don't want 
to just to hear a whole lot of wrestling stuff. If people follow me on Twitter, they can usually figure out within like the first five minutes of a show if I'm going to be obnoxious. <laughs> and, you know, it's probably going to happen. So, I mean, you know, I, I think people people who follow me have been around me long enough. And besides, most people who follow me follow me from tabletop RPG Twitter or wrestling Twitter. And there's a pretty wide overlap there. I yeah. Think. Which fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that there is a lot of uh, it's I, all it's all role playing nerds. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's all it's all theater. Which like role playing game is just theater nerds who want to do math, and wrestling is theater nerds who want to do flips. I accept that interpretation. Yeah, there's a very succinct uh, description. I or, like it. Or or theater nerds who like to hit people. <laughs> or get hit by people. Yeah. All right. Or want to dress up like that vampire dude? Yeah. I mean, okay, there are multiple vampire dudes. Wait, there wait, is- wait, 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 wait. There okay, are layers wait, wait. we can get into. Wait, wait. No, we are not going down weird wrestler personas no, 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 here. We're going we've, to go down one because we've got time. It's a Friday. There, is, there is a wrestler from like the 90s and aughts called Gangrel. As in yes, I've the heard vampire, of the masquerade clan. Yes, I've heard of this. Oh my God, um, I I guess the tie-ins between tabletop role playing and wrestling go way back. Um, yeah, there's a whole thing where it's like it wasn't really intentional, and like the vampire, the masquerade one came first. But they're like, yeah, we're not gonna we're we're gonna be re- we're not gonna be loose or we're not gonna be like strict about this because frankly, White Wolf did not have the money to try to sue WWF. Um, <laughs> and I, I know that there are several people in the TTRBD space who are like, I want Gangrel to sign a copy of Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> <laughs> big, big props. Yeah. I've seen him live, actually. Which Interesting. He, he did a guest spot in a show I went to in Vegas. All right. Tonight we are covering uh, two episodes uh, for season two. Those are episodes 12 and 13, Prisoner's Dilemma and Dead Reckoning. Anna, I believe you have Prisoner's Dilemma. Take us away. Yeah. This is episode 12 of season two, written by David Slack and directed by Chris Fisher. (laughs) She got the easy ones this time. Yep, I got the easy ones (laughs) uh, for once. So we're, we're picking up on our ongoing thread from last episode. John is still in Rikers, and Donnelly has ordered Carter to interrogate him and the other three potential men in suits. They're all being held indefinitely as enemy combatants and will not be allowed access to legal counsel until their identity is confirmed. To complicate things, the special counsel's office has sent Hirsch to eliminate all four men, and he orchestrates his own arrest to join everyone at Rikers. Thankfully, John's cover identity is holding up under scrutiny, at least so far. The first candidate, Kelly, is eliminated early when he's conclusively identified, and it turns out he has an alibi for the murder in New Rochelle. This is followed by another prisoner, McAvoy, offering to talk in exchange for immunity. Before he can give John away, though, Finch contacts him through Carter's phone and says that he can either make a deal with Finch or with Donnelly, and that the deal with Finch will be a lot better. He points to the fourth man, Packer, rather than Reese, but Donnelly is not convinced. Hirsch has managed to kill Kelly, and McAvoy is much more nervous than he was before. 
Donnelly's next test is to send John into the prison yard, where the Aryans are waiting to take revenge for John sending them to jail and taking their dog in the first episode of the season. John takes the pummeling to preserve his cover, but Elias intervenes when Hirsch starts to move in with a knife. At this point, Carter is fed up with everything. She pressures Packer again, claiming that the others have made a deal with her, and he snaps and attacks her. She hands him off to Donnelly as the man in the suit. With Reese released, he meets up with Carter to thank her, only to have them both intercepted by Donnelly, who arrests them both, saying that Carter gave them away when she was concerned for John in the yard. Meanwhile, Finch gets a new number, Donnelly. The car with the three of them is rammed by Kara Stanton, who shoots Donnelly and sedates and abducts Reese. Our B-plot is Fusco, who has to deal with the latest number, who is a supermodel, on his own. After initially macing him, the two build a rapport and Fusco successfully saves her and earns a kiss and a request to call her later. We also get flashbacks, this time for Kara and John's spy missions, as Kara questions John's suitability for the job and tells him to choose between being a Boy Scout or a killer. He assures her that he loves his work and kisses her. We also get, for the 20th fucking time the same flashback where mark tells john to kill kara every time yeah. kara is on screen in episode we have to get this flashback every more, time I, much much more importantly i i feel like you're glossing over the fact that she refer the the supermodel refers to uh fusco as the hedgehog <laughs> yeah that's the nickname <laughs> that she is it the one it's either the hedgehog she gives him or it's 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 her like sexy un- it's her sexy uncle's nickname that she likens him to but either no, no, way no, no, no. that 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 one's from the, the, the diplomat the diplomat oh one. that's right that's the diplomat yeah yeah that's that's the one where well am i confusing the diplomat's daughter mm-hmm. and the supermodel you yep. are because that like mm. yeah this has been a very successful season for fusco romantically yeah yeah, yeah. he's doing all right like he's <laughs> i mean doing better than i i mean anybody else in the cast really well we don't know that we don't know we don't know what john john and zoe are doing uh true true i i mean fair i i forgot about them they they're just not steady they're just ravenously like going at each other like animals (laughs) (laughs) like that's their energy we're we're gonna get into this next episode yeah we also have the you know constant on Tension between Reese and Finch. Yes. Yes. But as that is unresolved, it does not count. Fair. Fair. If only. One of my favorites. <laughs> so something that I something that I am, will be a recurring thing through a couple of the coming episodes is sort of paths not taken for John, or at least in my reading of the episodes. And the cover identity that John creates. That, it, that Finch created for, yeah, for, well, for Reese. I mean, mm-hmm. like, there's the identity that Finch created. John fills in a lot of information during the interrogation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, like, Harold, through spying, is able to, like, backfill data to match the story that John gives. It really feels like this is the life that John imagines he would have had if he didn't go back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, like... I think that that's why he's able to speak so earnestly about it is that he's like played this scenario out over and over in his head. And the funny thing is, it still ends with him burned out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I mean, maybe that's just so he can like, it doesn't look like he's lying because he never mm-hmm. really lies. 
Yeah. Other than about like names. Yeah. And like, yeah. Uh, oh my God. It's so like ridiculous. Like the name of his boss is Harold French. Like it's Howard French. Howard French. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, you know, it's, it's the, Harold's the, the name, depth but of his like cover. set after a couple drinks. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. depth of his cover of that cover identity is bananas. An entire yeah. office of people yeah. that are like, yeah, I know this guy and I would I will vouch for his existence. Like, how does Finch do that? Are these people just paid to agree when someone comes asking after him? Well, okay. Well, I mean, it's probably on days where they do not have a number, John is maybe probably in that office. Like, yeah. like he he probably spends physical time in that office. Okay. Like, Playing Playing solitaire and like, like I mean, I mean the, the job is probably cushy enough that he doesn't actually have to do real work. Yeah, and he's probably not in all that often. Yeah, and it's like it's probably yeah, like, makes, oh, he's on he's on business trips a lot or something. And but he, he makes a, enough appearances. A hybrid schedule. Yeah, yeah, but he makes enough appearances that they 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 can they vouch for him without like needing to be paid to be disingenuous. Yeah, yeah. And that's and and that is what you need for like a clean cover like that is you is you need it to be real. Yeah. Like if John was like if John was you know like an enemy agent like he'd be in that office he'd also be doing spy stuff. Um it's a good cover. Um like the the levels of which Harold goes to it is frankly ridiculous. And that's why it works. It's interesting because it's it's ridiculous and like if we had seen the level of cover prior to this episode, we would have been like, Harold, that's overkill. Um, but apparently it was just enough kill. Yeah, because yeah. because Don Okay, let's talk about Donnelly in this episode. Because yeah. he is completely off the deep end. Um yeah. Yeah. I think Except he's right is, because it's a, because we gotta keep Well, this. he's I don't think it matters that he's right. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is someone who can see the the object that they've been questing for slipping out of their grasp and he loses his he, he, he that the threat of him losing that m- makes him lose the plot entirely. Yeah. Um and he makes uh just a series of increasingly um erratic and dubious choices that immediately alienate Carter who was like Carter started out like feeling guilty about what was going on here. And by the end of it, she was just like, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean the part that, the part that lets you know that he is like losing the losing grip is when he starts backseat interrogating. Yeah. And, and like this, it's God, his, how he treats Carter. I hate how he treats Carter in this one, because we've gone from like last episode where he was like, Carter, you're the only one I can trust. Well, and like, yeah. And he like puts her in there because he's like, you're the interrogator. You're trained in this. this. Yeah. To like screaming at her through the earpiece. Like, why aren't you asking the questions? I said, push harder. And finally she's just like, yeah, fuck this guy. Right. You know, it's never, it's, it's a specific level of, paternal paternalistic assholery that yeah i don't know i'll say it's honestly sexist 
opened up. It, 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 like, it, if you read that scene, it's like, that's what it comes off as. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, like, it's funny on the rewatch because, you know, in rewatching them, I, like, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I Donnelly's, Donnelly is, like, fairly decent, except, you know, like, maybe a little bit obsessed and, like, very very sure in his conclusions and then with this episode it's like no no he's a piece of shit (laughs) my read on donnelly is there's a certain kind of person typically a privileged white male who his magnanimity is contingent on things going his way and that's donnelly Mm -hmm. donnelly's goodwill is contingent on the leads the cards falling his way and on Carter going along with his plan. But as the, as things start to fall apart and as Carter is no longer on team Donnelly, all of a sudden all that goodwill frays away. And you have to wonder like how many other people has he burned out? Has he burned and discarded along the way? Yeah. And it's, Things start to go south really fast in the episode. It's the point where he hands her the earpiece, and with it's there's no discussion, there's no like, yeah, you know, asking her if that's something that sounds good to her or anything like that. He's just mm-hmm. like, put this in. I'm going to feed you information and tell you what to ask him them, and she's like, okay, but also fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, he, I th- that really feels, I agree. I feel like that's the point at which he's, he's, his obsession uh, has taken front seat and he no longer cares about uh, performatively respecting her abilities. Or at the very least, he is like becoming more and more paranoid to the point where possibly at the, possibly near the start of the episode, he does start to no longer trust her. Well, I mean, he says he does. It was when he put Reese in the yard was when he realized he couldn't trust Carter. So. Yeah, but so that's when he like knew that they were actually aligned together. Um, but I think I think he like I think he started to like not trust. I think it's that like earlier on in the episode he doesn't trust anybody at all. He says specifically, he's like, he specifically says that once the DNA came back with an error, that's when he started to suspect Carter might be involved. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So, he's, he doesn't know what to believe about her at this point yeah. when he puts the earpiece on her. I do love, I do love our, like, honestly, a cameo king here by Elias. Yeah. Um, yeah. He shows up in two seeds. Is a is absolutely fantastic at that. Uh, just hello, John. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, it's, and it's just completely like in. I love that Elias, he, his his first episode accepted has not looked uncomfortable or surprised at all since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also love that like part of his justification for helping John is that he doesn't want to lose his chess partner. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, look, Elias, one of the things I think I like about Elias is, and that I think is such, makes him such an interesting character is he is unabashedly a bad person. They don't try and gussy up that he's like 
a criminal with a heart of gold. He's not. He does not have a heart of gold. Elias is is a monster who just happens to like John and and Reese. Yeah. Yeah. He just because Reese did him a solid once and he he, he enjoys playing ch- chess with Finch. They're on his good side. Yeah. He is he recognizes the he recognizes like wait you are my rivals, therefore we have an inherent homoerotic connection, and, th- and I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, what, what, sure, he's like that's another way to put it. <laughs> you know, he's like I, I, it, it, he honestly like, I think he cares more about John and Harold than he does most people in his organization. Oh, hundred percent. Because hundred percent for the for the sole fact that they are interesting. Yeah, well, they're interesting, yeah. and I think he also respects their competency because that's a thing that he clearly I- indicates in that first in his first appearance is like he really respects how good mm-hmm. John is at his job. He's, he may, says something like, "I'm not going to kill you. It would be a, a waste, you know, for someone as talented as you, or something like that." Yeah. I and I think he just he really respects them, even if he doesn't. He's like. You're doing your thing. I'm doing mine. Let's try not to step on each other. And I'll see you. I'll see you for chess. Like, but I like that about, about anyway, to get back to my original point, I like that about Elias is that they don't try and pretend that he's a good person. They let him be a, a villain that just happens to be a bud. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, also this episode is a fantastic reminder that, um, the words unlawful enemy combatant are just the magic word for you don't have civil rights anymore. Yep. Ah, the 2000s. Uh, I mean, this is this is still something that could happen right now. I mean, it is. But, but yeah. it was, I mean, if you watched any show involving military, any show involving a person with a government authority from... 2001 to about I would I don't know 2015 2016 it's pretty recently that it's tapered off like unlawful enemy combatant was like a magic word for uh indefinite detention and reckless co- violation of constitutional rights for example uh you know like NCIS for example is one of those shows where they're just like they just wag the word terrorist around and then go and just you know run railroad on some poor suspects civil rights and then you know at the end of the day everything's fine because they're the good guys i mean we, uh, we got propaganda we got nine seasons of out of 24 um trying to tell us the torture is okay i love it versus this show which admits in its first in in its first in one of its early appearances that torture is not okay but it can sometimes be fun between consenting adults <laughs> Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there in like two episodes. That's right. We're not quite there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, Hirsch. I like. God, we're gonna get more of Hirsch. We get a bit like we get drip fed Hirsch because we can't. You can't take he, Hirsch. He's not named yet. Yeah, because no, because like I had like getting his name, and the only reason I'm here, like the only reason I'm saying his name, is because of the dog. I call him the McTerminator yeah. in the next episode. Um, <laughs> the McTerminator. <laughs> I think oh. he cracks me up because he looks, he is so incongruous for a super spy. Well, he, I think that that's the point, yeah. though. Like, that yeah. I, I feel like 
in my in my first watch through of these episodes, I didn't really care about him. But in the rewatch, I'm finding him fascinating because he's evil Reese, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah absolutely is. Whereas Reese kind of looks the part of the like James Bondian archetype. Reese looks like a a yoked middle manager. Not I mean, even a, but a, that they a yoked f- middle manager, like a middle manager that hits the gym a couple of times a week. But I think, I mean, it means that they would be able to fill different, like, roles. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I totally of, get like, it. Spying. I just, yeah. I totally get it. I just think it's really entertaining that this this guy is, just doesn't remotely look like the kind of person that would, you know, unload his firearm in Times Square to get into Rikers Island to murder you. John is, like, John is what, like, the popular culture thinks that, like, a unremarkable person looks like. Hirsch is what an actual <laughs> unremarkable person looks like. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. Like, I, That's funny. Because, and, and it's like, it's the thing of like, her, and I will get to this in like later episodes he appears in, but truly when I call him the Terminator, it is because it's like, the dude does not die or he doesn't even. I will get into more when he does like, real hate is king shit. Uh, but like, well, but I mean, he puts on a pretty good show in this episode, yeah. like where he just br- gets into by unloading his gun on Times Square, gets into Rikers and is like about to go postal in in the yard. What was his plan after that? It wasn't. There Doesn't wasn't, matter. There wasn't a plan. It was like, I mean, part of it. I is mean, that, that's how Reese operates, too. Part of that is that Hirsch is part of a government apparatus that. He could shift someone in a yard. He will get transferred between prisons and disappeared, and he will be back in circulation in two months. Yeah, like yeah. That, that's how it would work. Um, because the- well, and that's and that's kind of how Reese operates a lot of the time too. Is like, okay, he he figures out an action, he takes the action, and then Finch figures out the plan afterward. Yeah, um, he really is evil, Reese, and yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. I look. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have some words for. I, I'm gonna have more to say about him in his next appearance in our next episode. Uh, we got anything else that we want to talk about this one? There's um, that kiss between John and Kara. Do you want to talk about that? Um, <laughs> I don't think that killing makes John like. I don't think that killing makes John horny, but it definitely makes Kara horny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Accurate. Uh, oh. That woman. That woman has a boner for war crimes. Yes. Yeah. You know, man. You know who. You you know who should have. John Sheridan and Kara Stanton would have gotten along <gasps> like napalm and a and a fucking blowtorch. My girl. God. My girl boss male life dream ship. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things with the end of the episode. Well, the. The other thing with the with the flashbacks is that I feel like John is just like incredibly haphazard with that like bleach dishcloth. Um <laughs> like he's not he's not wiping things down in any sort of systematic way. He's just like it's like when you're when you've got like It's like playing power wash simulator. <laughs> he's just waving well, it back and forth. It reminded me of It reminded me of when you're cleaning the bathroom, but you're no, you know your mom's going to check and find your work unacceptable, no matter how good you do. So you just kind of half-ass it, knowing your mom's going to come along after and clean up after you. Reminded me of. 
I get the feeling John never cleaned a bathroom a day in his life. Or uh, like, or like when you're cleaning the kitchen and like you're wiping down the counters and you you wipe down like the visible areas of the counters, okay, but you don't move anything to like get it properly clean. There there are a few things episode where like I can't believe that John and Carter like meet up in person immediately. I'm like outside, like. This you seems- have multiple safe houses, John. I I think it is one of them fucked up. <laughs> yeah, like it's and is not thinking straight. It's it's narratively convenient, but like, yeah. come on, John's smarter than that. Uh, Carter Carter's smarter than that. Carter is both smarter that than that and has a lot to lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. as we'll as we'll get into. Well, yeah, and as we're about to find out. Um, well, the so. the other thing from the end of the episode is the kind of rounding out the end of the Donnelly plot. Um, it's, it's quite, I mean, we'll get the resolution, like the, the real quote unquote resolution. Episode. Yeah. But they, yeah, but they're but like, the, we're done with this. If he had just listened to Finch, he would still be alive. <laughs> Finch calls him on his phone and is like, stop your car, you're about to die. I mean, it's a pretty random phone call, but yeah, I will admit. <laughs> yeah. But but it's like it's like he's I feel like it's the final the final step in being so convinced that Reese and Finch are you know, bad guys that um you know that that's what kind of puts the nail in yeah, and then Kara, d- and then we see Kara do the uh, she the Reese maneuver. Them. Reese doing the Kara maneuver. We don't really know who originated that maneuver, but <laughs> she uh, does an exemplary job of it. And, I can't. Be- uh, I can't believe they were that unscathed by that car accident, though. Well, <laughs> that's the most unbelievable part television. of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. More unbelievable than the sentient AI is walking away from being T-boned by a, 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 and having a the homicidal car flip twice. Yeah, I, 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 I choose. To, I, I like anytime injuries are involved in a show. I just okay, whatever. I can't. Yeah, I can't. That's it for me for this one, though. I, I mean, I'm just gonna say it again. I love the Armenian subplot because while this is all like super serious and stuff, Fid, or Fusco gets to be in an action movie in the background. Yeah, yeah, Fusco's doing a diehard in the background. He's living his best life. It's great. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, let's go on to our next episode. Uh, that is season two, episode 13, Dead Reckoning, written by Eric Mountain, directed by John Dahl. Well, I'm guessing I'm going to be the one who's handling whose music is that? It's Kara Stanton. Um, she's great. She's abducted John, and she is our number for this week. Don't worry, she doesn't have anything as simple as murder on her vibe. What she has done is add John to the spring collection of models for her new bomb vests. Uh, Kara's got some errands to run. For old time's sake, she gives them a list to negotiate their places in the brave new world they're in. Uh, while Carter, Fusco, and Harold try to follow them, Mark and John visit some g- generic Eastern European criminal programmers to pick up a hard drive and then take out two ATF agents to pose as them. 
John is able to send a text message in the commotion, which clues in Carter and Harold that they're wearing bomb vests. John and Mark get to a building where they infiltrate a secret DoD cybersecurity facility. Harold thinks they are still a cyber weapon, but as it turns out, they are in fact deploying a weapon. Kara sets their bombs with a five-minute timer and leaves them to die in the secure facility. John and Mark are able to escape, but Mark turns on John to try to head back to the CIA. I don't know. Uh, John heads up to the roof to try to minimize casualties, forcing Carter and Fusco to leave him. However, on the roof is Harold. John is in full martyr mode, but Harold is able to convince him to let him defuse the bomb. It's close, but Harold is able to do it with 10 seconds remaining on the clock even. Go Harold. Back at the library, John is warmly greeted by Bear. The FBI surmises that the man on the suit was Snow. Okay, we're just really shuffling this plot away. It's done. It's done. <laughs> Stop asking about the FBI. <laughs> Harold is unable to figure out what the virus does, but he does find that it has a timer a little over five months from now. We also get some Kara flashbacks and how she survived the aftermath of Ordos. She wakes up in a hospital where an old British man welcomes her to the afterlife. The Crypt Keeper tells her that he does everything about her. I'm calling him the Crypt Keeper because he doesn't have a name yet, and he does look like the fucking Crypt Keeper. Valid. He shows her the laptop that they were sent to destroy in Ordos, and tells her it's the answer to a question. When he visits Kara next, he reveals he's not working for the Chinese or anything as basic as that. He offers her a job at his organization, which will bring whatever comes next. Uh, he knows that she won't work for money, but he will give her information. Who sold the laptop in the first place? Kara, after, back in the present, after deploying the virus, calls our British fellow and is able to learn the name of the person who originally sold the laptop. A person who seemingly does not exist in any database whatsoever, but she does get a name. She writes it down. As Kara gets into her car, it turns out, oh, Mark is in the backseat with the primed bomb vest. It goes off, they're both dead, and in the wreckage we see a piece of paper with the name Harold Finch. Dun, 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 dun. Um, first of all, God, Kara is such a queen. <laughs> Like, she, yeah. she is perfect in this episode. She is, like, evil Harold. I am yeah. not convinced that she's dead. I We didn't see a body that maybe because it was vaporized, I, but we didn't see a body. <laughs> I don't know if we see her in flashback, but she is vaporized. <sighs> all right, all right, fine. It would have been interesting if she was still alive, though, honestly. I don't think we're that sci-fi in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more more like she could have like bailed out of the car at the very last second or something. I mean, but that 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 like that evaporated in like a city block. Yeah. More importantly, this is very much the closing of what I think of as like the first act of the show. This episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is. I I think this is almost exactly a third of the way into the show. Yeah. yeah. I would say this is like the laying all the putting all the pieces in motion for the rest of the show phase. Well, and um, speaking of things I'm not convinced about, though, I'm also not convinced that Harold is the one who sold that hard drive. Um, I think that Kara was being set up to target him. You know, I think it's interesting for other reasons. I think it's entirely rational to be suspicious of a smarmy British 
villain. The, a man yeah, who yeah. says it is second appearance, my dear, if you think I work for the government, I must fire my tailor. This is a man. <laughs> yeah. This is a man who was James Bond and like got the retirement package for James Bond that didn't include the nine millimeter to the back of the skull. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, let's talk about I know this face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the show creator uh, and second best Nolan's uh, uncle. Um, what's his first name? His I name just, is John. It just went it's out of- John Nolan. He. Um, it's John Nolan. Yeah. The show creator's uncle. And I love that because A, it's weird. And B, uh, he is so perfectly cast in this role. Is it's yeah? How bananas is it that you're just like, oh hey, Uncle John is like the perfect actor for this fucking role? Yeah, he really is like I, he like the things that he known he's known for really is he has a bit role in like all the Dark Knight movies, like all the all of the Nolan Batman movies he appears in. But this is really what he is known for. I think, like, or this is like his most. Yeah. This is the thing he's done the most of, really. I think. Well, he's he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he I I love him in this. He is. It is not a surprise that he will return. Jude and I talked about this in one of our previous episodes of like that he is it like the te- like it, Jude really like brought this word like the British secret agent in the surgeon episode. Yeah, like I may, they have different roles in what they're doing, but like the testral of that character of charming British person who is very menacing. Like the, this dude is intensely menacing in a way that old British spies can be. I'm surprised that they didn't like tie those two things in together directly because honestly it'd be easy to do. I really strongly believe that they did that first episode and they were like, fuck, we love this idea, but it needs to be diff- different. Mm-hmm. So they rewrote it to, to and recast it. And they were just like, well, it's not connected to that. But like, you know, whatever. But it like, basically is. I, I have trouble believing that there is not a behind the scenes connection between that episode and and Greer. Because like. It's functionally the same the same thing. It's an old British guy with some kind of spy organization of his own doing stuff. I would say that they are uh, uh, they're the same sort of archetype, but we will we're going to get to this They're not Yeah. Yeah. They're not doing the same thing, but like I said, it's a it's a it's an old British spy that clearly has his own organization. Of some kind, and that's all we, at that at this age. That's all we know about them. Yeah, but it, I mean, they're so similar in concept. I feel like they must have loved the idea of that last character and evolved it so far that they didn't want they didn't want to bring him back, or maybe he just couldn't come yeah. back. So they bring in yeah the the uncle, and they're like, "This is too good. We have to do something better with this than that that guy." Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, it's overall I love him. He'll 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 return and. The I think the thing that like really does it is like he do all the chewing of scenery that you would want from an old British spy of like feeding Kara all this bullshit about the Titans. 
Yeah. And like and like the their their plate like what historically they're they're trying to do here. Jude, you have a question here in in the docs and I have an answer. Yes, I do. I asked is Snow's last act one of redemption or vindictiveness? You be the judge and your answer is perfect. I said that bitch does not have a redemptive bone in his body and he's doing it all for pettiness. Um because I truly do not believe yeah. that anything he's doing is like I have to stop her or I'm doing this for the safety of the nation. It's you kept me in a basement for three months. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a fuck you, not a not a I'm better. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm on board with that. Let's talk about is this the one with the blue screens? Is this where we get them the first time or is that next episode? That's next episode. Um okay. I do want to say that the the FBI's special agent in charge rank is the rank you can have in all of like law enforcement yeah it's not intimidating yeah yeah it, it's 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 just a funny thing it's like like there is like the, the way the fbi is structured there is an agent and special agent ranks and there is like one above that that is like special like agent in charge and it is a thing that is developed out of bureaucracy and is just this this sounds completely dopey i don't know does it sound either does it sound better or worse than like super special agent (laughs) i don't know (laughs) or extra special agent special agent first class uh are we done with this episode are we i do love the, the the start of the scene where carter who is like clearly some sort of injured going to the crime scene yeah trying to find her earring which she doesn't even realize is missing and Fusco's like, yo, I got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fusco, Fusco is so good. Yeah. Yeah, he's great in this episode. Also, I like I like Kevin, the, the dude who they meet in the skiff. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, um, he, yeah, he, he's, a, he's overall a, um, he's a nice guy. He's good. Oh, I missed something. Um, but yeah, the overall, like, he he's nice. Um, I do love how it's the switch of like, oh, they're there to they must be there to steal something, and Kara just walks in. Yeah. It's like, nope, I am delivering. Yeah, we will find out what that is as it comes out. But uh, <laughs> it, it's yeah. How do okay? How do we feel about how the man in the suit plot is resolved? I'm done with it. I'm yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think it ran about a half a season too long, so I'm good. Yeah. But that may also be like rewatch a- anticipation, knowing how good, how much better the, pl- the the plot gets after the man in the suit stuff wraps up. So it's one of those it's one of those like ways of wrapping it up where like if you think about it for like forty five seconds, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah. but it works. Like you know, it it seems like a reasonable way to tie it up and. Yeah. And I'm happy. I'm happy for it to be over because like the thing of I I feel like the the thing of John being hunted by the FBI has gotten old and I look forward to him being hunted by, you know, other more interesting people. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll get to them. Um we're going to meet them in like two episodes. Oh no, I do have one more thing. When they're on the roof, John says to Harold uh, that like he he's talking about the Bobby's like this is my past catching up to me. It doesn't concern you, but Harold says, but this moment does, and I'm just like, oh. I, I, I love him. I, I 
Yeah. You know? One of those great Gerald moments. It's Michael ever said you you are you are is you are carrying the show. Yeah. Your your shoulders must be so strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um overall the uh yeah, we got we got through our, our big I know that face here. Um but yeah, I think we're good here. Um next time we are going to be covering episodes 14 and 15 of season two, one percent, and book solid. Until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.